welcome everyone. I'm Kim Bremer, your host today for another edition of Bova News, keeping you up to date on the cattle industry's latest in technology, management, genetics, and more. Today we have a great lineup of presenters to you as we talk about the opportunities for a beef on dairy genetics program. first presenter today is Simon Vanderwoude. Simon is the owner along with his wife Christine of Vanderwoude Dairy in Merced, California. They currently milk 3,200 cows three times a day. Simon was an early adopter of genomic technology and actively works to speed genetic progress while maintaining herd size. Simon began using beef genetics in his dairy herd in 2012. Welcome Simon. Good morning, my name is Simon Vanderwoude. Uh, my wife and I own and operate uh, three dairies here in Merced, California. We have Vanderwoude Dairy, which is the home dairy, um, Dutch Door Dairy, and uh, Grandview Dairy. A little history about ourselves. Uh, we, uh, my parents started uh, their own dairy in Ramona, California, down in San Diego County in 1971. Uh, in ni so I was born and raised uh, on that dairy. Uh, in 1994, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to start our own operation. So we didn't take over my parents, but we started our own. Uh, we started there in San Marcos, California, down in San Diego as well. Uh, we started with 150 cows. In 2005, uh, my, my dad and I merged our dairies into Vanderwoude Dairy, a, a brand new facility in Merced up in the Central Valley. Uh, we started with 1,200 cows and just kind of kept growing that. Um, we had kind of a staged growth plan and, and uh, got that up to 3,200 cows um, in 2012. Uh, Chris and I have since uh, bought out uh, my brother and my parents, uh, well my mom, my dad passed away a few years ago, uh, but we bought out my mom and uh, my brother in 2014. Uh, in 2015 we added Dutch Door Dairy to our operations, that's a 650 cow dairy uh, in partnership with my manager, and uh, last year we bought Grandview Dairy, uh, which is a 1900 cow dairy um, and uh, so uh, our son uh, just came home from college and he's actually working for us out there right now. So why use beef semen? That's kind of the, the impetus of what we're talking about this morning. Um, why would I use beef semen? Uh, and as you heard in my history from 1994 to 2012, uh, I was in constant growth mode. Uh, we started with 150 cows. Uh, my dad was milking 500 at the time. He kind of stayed pretty stagnant, but I kept growing and, and uh, um, we grew Vanderwoude Dairy to 3,200 cows. And we, we got to a point in 2012 where we had 3,200 cows milking and 3,400 heifers. So we knew that that was not going to be a sustainable model. And, and genomics had been out. Zoetis had been out talking to us about it a few times. And um, so we, we basically gathered all the minds around a table and, and uh, working with Zoetis and GenX and came up with a strategy of how to use genomics to uh, further the genetic progress in our herd and to right size our heifer inventory. So how did we come up with that strategy? Well, we, we, looked, we figured we would take, we sampled all the heifers under 12 months of age at that point and use that information to determine um, which ones of those heifers would get sex semen and which ones would get uh, Angus semen or, or uh, um, conventional semen uh, at that point. Um, so how do we run our breeding strategy today? And, and this hasn't changed a whole lot from the beginning. 
we plan out how many heifers we want born every month. So at the beginning, it was just for the 3,200 cow dairy. And uh, we could strategize that I want about 100 to 110 heifers born every month. Uh, we target a 30 to, you know, 30 to 33% coal rate. And um, if we can get better than that over time, we certainly will strive for that. Uh, but that's kind of where we are today. Um, so we look at how many virgin heifers we have available to breed because those are theoretically and um, in truth, your most progressive genetics. They're just uh, that much better than everything else you have in your herd. Um, then we look at how many cows we have available to breed every month. Uh, we look at the conception rates of heifers and cows, uh, both from the previous month and the same month last previous year. So there's a lot of factors that go into kind of this algorithm. Uh, we use the Gen X calf math uh, system and, and they've been very instrumental in helping us uh, work through this process. Um, we also, you know, factor in abortion rates, DOA rates, uh, heifer program losses, animals that don't breed, that kind of stuff. So all those factors go into this, this calf math and uh, we strategize about how many live heifer calves we want born every month. Um, so we then we once we figured out how many we want, we go see what we have available. And from there, uh, using all those factors, we'll know how many uh, heifers we'll get from our virgin heifer population, and how many need to come from the milking cows. So what has that done to our breeding strategy? Um, here at Vanderwater Dairies, uh, we have a very consistent number of heifers born every month. Uh, we now can strategize that for all three dairies. So since we added Grandview last year, uh, we went from, uh, um, you know, 140, 150 heifers a month up to 230 is our target right now. 230 live heifer calves born every month is, is what we're looking for uh, to replace all three dairies. Um, We've seen a consistent gain in our net merit of our heifers. Uh, on my monitor report on Dairy Comp, uh, I just have a little tab at the bottom that I, I made for myself of the average net merit of my entire heifer population. That's from day old to um, springers and anything that we have genomic tests on. And uh, we, we see a pretty consistent 10 to 15 point jump uh, just about every month. So that, that nets us 120 to 200 points annually in the average net merit of our, of our lactation zero, our heifer population. Um, it also put us into the beef business. Uh, we, we did not necessarily anticipate that. Uh, we started breeding Angus as more of a strategy to uh, keep milking these cows longer and not necessarily replace our genetics, our, our make, make our replacement genetics out of them, but um, it inadvertently put us into the beef business um, which at that, when we started breeding Angus, we were contemplating just selling them. Uh, we ended up keeping them and raising them. Uh, we, we maintain ownership of the calves through 550 pounds. Um, we uh, send them to a calf ranch for the first about 140 days. And uh, then they uh, come home and we feed them on site. Um, so it was a it was a learning curve trying to figure that out. We were pretty early in the process. We weren't the first adopters, but we were early adopters of this strategy. So what does our Angus feeding business look like? Well, today, um, yeah, like I said, the calves go to the calf ranch for about 140 days. Uh, we have a feed lot here at the home dairy. Uh, we had bought a ranch next door that had a little feed lot on it. I was contemplating just bulldozing it and and uh, turning it back into cropland. Um, 
But about that time, we started getting these Angus back and we didn't necessarily have room at our in our heifer facilities at the home dairy. And so uh, we just have a little feedlot right down the road and, and it's worked out great. I mean, it had a, a scale, a loading chute, squeeze chute, everything was there. So uh, it, it worked out perfectly. Um, as you can see from the slides, uh, we have that business has continued to grow. Uh, I don't have data from earlier on. I wasn't necessarily keeping track of that too well uh, early on, but uh, for the last four years, uh, you can see that uh, we, the number of calves that we've been selling annually uh, in 2017, 813, 2018, and then you see in 2019, we really jump up. And uh, that was when we made another change in our breeding strategy. And, and in 2017, July of 2017, probably one of the hottest summers we've had here in California, one of the toughest breeding environments uh, we've ever faced. Uh, we made the decision to go all sex semen in Angus. So we haven't used conventional semen on the dairy uh, since July of 17. And uh, again, our breeding strategy is constantly evolving. I surround myself with really smart people and they give me lots of uh, suggestions and ideas and, and we chew on those and working together, we come up with solutions and uh, strategies to continue to move the program forward. So how do we market our Angus calves? Um, when we started in, in 2013, uh, yeah, we, we just, we didn't really have a strong strategy. We didn't have a plan. Uh, we called around to a few different people that bought Angus Holstein crosses. Um, we looked into the video sale option and, uh, called some auction yards. Um, we ended up selling most of our calves to Grimius cattle, uh, early on, and, uh, they continued to, to kind of win the bids. Uh, to get our calves, and they were they were early adopters of this uh, program as well, and and uh, they um, came in strong and wanting they they saw the value of of this this beef breed and uh, wanted to be part of that. And uh, I I would argue that today they're probably one of the largest um, purveyors of Angus cross calves, and and uh, they they um, buy them day old and and finish them. So uh, they they're they're a large operation and, and they've been very, very good to work with. Uh, they eventually came to us and, and said they didn't want to just be bidding any, you know, all the time. They wanted, they wanted all of our calves. They wanted to be able to plan on that. And so uh, we did work out a deal with them. Um, and then in 2018, um, they came to us and said, we want your calves, but we want you to use our semen. So they had, they, they bought their own lineup of Angus bulls uh, they collect them here in California, and uh, we do use their semen, and um, have had a very good relationship uh, with Grimius cattle from the beginning, and, and it continues to go very well. So what does it look like being in the beef business with Angus cross calves? Um, again, I didn't necessarily plan on getting into the beef business, but here we are, and, and it's part of our um, our business strategy to, of diversification. Uh, and so far this year, uh, in a fairly depressed beef market uh, with COVID and everything, uh, we're, we've been netting about $280 per head. Now that does not take into consideration a day old price. So uh, you would have to subtract a day old price from that. But since I'm making these calves myself, I, I just kind of look at holistically, what do I, what do I gain from these calves? And uh, we're able to do that uh, it, with feeding them for about 200 days. So it's a fairly quick turnaround. Uh, a lot of dairymen will say, well, I'll just make extra springers and sell them. Um, I can turn these Angus calves in, in six or seven months 
and uh, do that a few times before a Springer is ready to go and, and generally have a fairly decent profit uh, per head on these. Um, it also gives us the opportunity to uh, utilize that for philanthropic purposes. Um, we, we will donate uh, cattle to uh, different organizations and, and uh, it, just, it works well for, for tax purposes for us. Uh, next year, we anticipate selling about 3,500 head. Uh, if you remember my earlier slide, we've sold about 2,100 so far this year, uh, but we bought Grandview Dairy in December of 2019. Um, we implemented a breeding strategy there of breeding the entire milking herd to Angus and uh, all the virgin heifers to, to sex semen. And uh, so we will see uh, pretty good growth in our beef operations uh, over the next few years. And uh, we're still having no problem meeting our objectives of making 230 very good uh, genetic heifer calves every month. Uh, we do that through uh, using some of the best semen we can get. Uh, we also do a lot of IVF and, and place a lot of embryos. And uh, we have been continuing to progress in uh, making um, great heifers as well as growing our beef business. So it's been a two-pronged approach that has worked very well for us. Well, thank you very much, Simon. Next up, we have Dr. Kent Anderson. Dr. Anderson is the Director of Technical Services, uh, Global Beef Genetics for Zoetis. Dr. Anderson supports beef genomic testing, genetic evaluations, and related services. Following graduation from the University of Nebraska and Colorado State University and prior to joining Zoetis, Dr. Anderson served as a Director of Education and Research and Executive Vice President for the North American Limousine Foundation. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks, Kim, and thanks for the chance to be with your viewers today. What I'd like to visit with you about briefly here are some fundamental principles that we call the four C's of beef on dairy crossbreeding. And Simon very effectively communicated how he's doing this in his operations. So this is perhaps just um, some of the principles behind what he's actually put to application. To begin, I'd like to just uh, visit briefly about the benefits and the roots of crossbreeding, which occur, of course began um, in beef um, many, many years ago. The two benefits really are hybrid vigor and complementarity. Um, probably with particular emphasis on complementarity as it relates to beef on dairy crosses. In other words, we're trying to blend the strengths of uh, two different breeds whereby we um, complement one another. I'll mention um, also how we're exploiting hybrid vigor in beef on dairy crossing as well. I did get a kick out of the caption on the bottom of this slide out of the Kansas City Star newspaper where clear back in 1962, we did not know yet what to call these Angus Hereford crosses, Hergus or Angford. And so who knows uh, what uh, in the future uh, we might be calling these various beef on dairy crosses. Next slide here just um, I think is meant to give us appreciation for the advantages on the fed cattle side relative to dairy. Typically uh, Holstein are quite uniform and we have that uh, working to our advantage. As Simon mentioned, he provides year-round supply and so when we think about crossing and complementing dairy, we've got some uh, real positives here to build on. And um, I think that should be kept in mind when contemplating what to cross uh, uh, the dairy with. Um, we do, however, know that there's fed, uh, there's, there's challenges with feeding dairy cattle. Normally because of the selection for milk production and other dairy traits, um, these cattle have 
high appetite. And um, consequently, when we use them for beef production, their conversion and their cost of gain are not as beneficial as straight beef. They also um, have lower dressing percent because of less muscularity. And we have a problem with narrow ribeyes and that um, if they fall into dairy type, packers can discount. And so when we cross them, we, wanna, we want to um, you know, improve uh, gain relative to dry mare intake, uh, muscularity to improve dressing percent and carcass cutability, and um, make complementary crossings. The next slide here just uh, hopefully pokes fun and, and illustrates that. So when we're thinking about uh, the four C's of effective beef on dairy crossing, we want to improve feed conversion and carcass yield, and um, at the same time, um, maybe other traits as well. So the four C's as we've characterized them, and, and it's a tug of war, if you will, between dairy producers and then post, uh, post that feeders and packers. You know, job one, of course, is we want to um, make sure we have fertile beef semen that, uh, that gets, gets females pregnant. And so we know there are differences among sires and conception rate, and many of the semen companies have evaluated that. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Especially if you're breeding heifers, we know that calving ease is an important uh, consideration and we have effective EPDs to make sure we get a live calf without any troubles. Again, we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. And then um, relative to all things feeding and packing, uh, we want to produce cattle that are set up to have um, sensible costs of gain and at the same time produce higher yielding carcasses that um, also get premiums. We know that there's both important within breed and across breed effects here. And we'll talk about that here as well, just so you have a feel for what breeds do things particularly well and complement dairy and, and where they may, may not be as complementary. So to build on that, um, as it relates to conception, most of the semen companies now are actually evaluating differences in um, conception rate among sires. And that can be an important consideration they can vary as much as 10% difference in, um, in conception rate. The only way currently to evaluate that is through test mating and actually measuring pregnancy records and uh, then characterizing the sire differences there are. Maybe one day we'll have a, a means by which to evaluate that that doesn't require so much actual pregnancy testing. On the calving ease front, uh, particularly as it relates to breeding uh, dairy heifers to beef bulls, uh, across most all of our populations, we have highly accurate uh, Cavinese direct EPDs and birth weight EPDs. And uh, the combination of those two can sure impact both calf survival as well as cow uterine health post calving. In our visits with the dairy customers that we work with, they really want an optimum birth weight. So they obviously don't want a calf that's too heavy that requires assistance, but also they don't want calves that are too lightweight and may be susceptible to various problems thereof. As it relates to cost of gain, normally when we think about selecting beef sires for complementarity to dairy, we think about um, bulls with high yearling weight EPD, uh, but sensible dry matter intake EPD. So we, we wanna try to have as much of our cake and be able to eat it too. Uh, so we want them to grow, but grow efficiency and correct maybe that high intake, high appetite coming from the dairy side of the equation. At the same time, in the ideal world, we like to bend the top of the growth curve. So change the maturity pattern, the compositional maturity of the dairy by selecting those that um, have sensible 
Uh, beef bulls that have sensible mature weight and mature height EPDs. So bend the top of the growth curve to manage days on feed and carcass weight. Then when it comes to the carcass, um, um, we don't want to produce excessively heavy carcasses, oftentimes not a big problem. Uh, we do want to emphasize the ribeye area EPD to improve the muscularity, and that improves dressing percent as well as yield grade and uh, percent cutability. Depending on the end market specifications, um, some magnitude of emphasis on marbling EPD to be able to capture those car carcass premiums is um, typically in order. And then we want to exploit some specific breed differences, particularly as we consider beef sires for use on Jersey. Uh, there we can exploit, say, the limousine breed that has um, um, very strong muscularity and typically really good um, conversion and cost of gain and sensible dry matter intake. We anticipate in the not too distant future, both on the dairy side that's already available, we have uh, GPTAs for calf survival and calf susceptibility to BRD. We anticipate uh, down the road that might be available in beef as well. So typically in the industry, uh, we see a variety of different crosses being used. And just to cover this quickly, um, historically, the Hogus cross, Holstein crossed with Angus, as Simon is doing, has probably been the most popular. We have the breeding to feeding uh, program, the beef builder program that exploits limousine and limb flex genetics, particularly on Jersey, but increasingly also on Holstein. We also um, have uh, certain AI companies, as well as Progentus and Transova, that are taking advantage of both Simangus and Angus and stabilizer type crosses uh, to complement. Typically those are selected for uh, growth and muscularity as well as intake and, and end product carcass merit. So um, you can do keyword searches on those and find out more about each of those programs from the different AI companies and, and those entities. A word on the breed effects and complementarity to dairy. Uh, these data are from US Meat Animal Research Center. And you can see there where the Jersey and Holstein breed are characterized relative to milk production, calving growth, retail product, and marbling score, as are those main breeds that are used uh, on the beef front uh, for crossing, Angus, Semitol and Sim Angus, Limousin and Charlay. And you can see there, depending on the type of animal you're wanting to produce and the performance desired in the feed yard and on the rail, and depending on whether they're Jersey or Holstein, uh, that this slide hopefully is meant as guidance to, to help inform um, the breed to choose that, that gets you to where you want to go. In order to help navigate that, and as we've worked with um, dairy customers such as Simon, Zoetis has just recently prototyped what we call our Beef on Dairy Index. And just to remind you, indexes rank animals for combined genetic merit across a variety of traits that contribute to the profit function, both the costs and the revenues from production. And so we use the relevant uh, genomic enhanced EPDs from the beef breeds. We use some economic assumptions that are consistent with um, our industry partners, and particularly those used by the American Angus Association, who, by the way, have produced their own beef on dairy index that I would also encourage you to explore. And then um, we also make some supply chain assumptions. So I wanted to share briefly that beef on dairy index that we prototyped and we're beginning to use to help our dairy customers make the wisest possible decisions as to which beef sires to use. The index can include the combination of these four categories of traits. 
We have prototyped it for one AI stud where we actually use the conception rate differences documented among beef sires. That's often not available. And so when it's not available, we basically rank beef sires across several breeds for the combination of those traits related to calving ease and birth weight in the second box down, those traits related to growth and maturity, uh, being uh, yearling growth, dry matter intake, mature cow weight and height. And then on the carcass front, um, the ribeye area, marbling and carcass weight EPDs also feed into the index. Um, our math would suggest that on average, very generally, as we think about beef sires to complement Holstein, roughly a 20% emphasis each on uh, calving ease and calf size, as well as carcass merit and size, with just um, a bit over half of the emphasis on those traits related to growth and efficiency, will generally yield uh, the best profit as it relates to the beef sires that complement Holstein. So just to conclude real quick, um, and this is really just a synopsis of what uh, Simon has put into practice. We really think that the most beneficial outcome for dairy producers is to synergistically figure out how to blend these different technologies for their production. Understand about the dairy inventory and the incoming um, heifer calves and uh, optimizing that, right-sizing the inventories, I think what Simon referred to. Uh, we can evaluate them through genomic technologies such as Clarified Plus, combine that with reproductive technologies such as sex semen, and Simon also mentioned IVF and ET, and then complementary terminal crossbreeding and, and selection of the best beef sires uh, to complement uh, Holstein and Jersey. So with that, Kim, I'm gonna conclude and turn the floor back over to you. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. And our final presenter today, Dr. Victor Cabrera. He's a professor and extension specialist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dr. Cabrera combines applied research, interdisciplinary approaches and participatory methods to deliver practical, user-friendly and scholarly decision support tools for dairy farm management. Dr. Cabrera. Thanks, Kim. Uh, very glad to be part of this conversation and this very nice panel. So I have been asked to talk about the economics and a little bit about sustainability of using beef semen on dairy. So uh, we have been working on this on my lab uh, for about two, three years in, in the time that the sex semen together with the beef semen have been increasingly being used on different uh, dairy operations. So farmers nowadays have more options about their breeding uh, choices. They can use sex semen, conventional semen, beef semen, but that will depend on the age or the lactation of the animals, the status of those animals, as well as the genetics, as we have been hearing in the previous talks. So, in, in our mind, there are three main considerations in order to use the beef semen on dairy farms. And one important one on the top here, uh, if you're following with the slides, is the replacements needed. Uh, we have heard from Simon that they have a target number of animals they need to produce every single month in order to maintain the hair size or even increase the hair size if that's the goal of the farm. So, um, 
the, the, the farm management needs to decide how many animals they need to produce. And if they produce over the, the limit, uh, probably they will need to sell those animals or if they underproduce, uh, they need to see if they have an opportunity to buy extra animals to maintain the herd size. So in general, uh, beef semen is a good opportunity if we have more than plenty of animals being produced on the farm. We are uh, more than, uh, we have enough replacements from within our herd. So the next thing is the performance of the herd. Uh, how good is the herd uh, regarding to the reproductive reproduction performance? Um, and that will affect uh, using beef and sex semen because we know, for example, sex semen will have uh, a little less uh, reproductive performance than the conventional or the beef semen. And then the other very important factor to consider in this decision is actually the prices. And in this case, two important factors are the prices of the calves we're gonna receive as a, a income and the price we're gonna pay as a cost for the semen, whether it is the conventional semen, the beef semen or the sex semen. So we came with this term that we're trying to, <clears throat> to get across uh, that we call income from calves over semen cost. Uh, in order to summarize like ICOSC, similar to the income uh, over feed cost that is very popular in the dairy industry. And that refers the balance between having uh, <clears throat> enough uh, return of our investment in this proposal. The investment is the sex uh, and beef semen, which is different than the conventional we are normally using, and our extra returns uh, should pay for that uh, extra investment. So we have developed a decision support tool that is openly and freely available at uh, my website, which is dairymgt.info. And this is a online tool that works directly on the web browser. Uh, we try to make it all our tools very simple to use. And the idea of this tool is basically to calculate what's the uh, value of using beef semen on a dairy operation. And just briefly, I, I wanna give you a taste, a glance of what, what this tool does. The first step actually is calculate the balance, uh, the, the female calves required on the herd. Uh, in this example, uh, for, for example, for a uh, 1,000 adult calves with 35% uh, turnover, ratio or calling rate and 20% of 21 day pregnancy rate and other factors there, as you can see, they will need to produce every single month 38 uh, calves, right? So that's a very important first factor we need to consider because uh, that will depend on the type of semen we're gonna use in different groups of animals. The other thing we calculate internally on this tool is basically how many animals we have <clears throat> eligible to be bred in different states, whether they are heifers, first lactation, later lactation, first service, or later services. So uh, this is calculated based on the general data the user enters, but the user has always the opportunity to override these numbers. And the next thing the user 
needs to do is actually define what would be the consumption rate in each one of these different services times. Along with that, the user needs to define uh, the expected females being produced by different types of semen, uh, obviously in different services. And obviously part of the decision uh, will include and part of the information that needs to be entered on this is uh, the semen cost for different types of semen being used. The user has the opportunity actually to split each one of these groups of animals to be serviced for breeding in top and bottom, meaning that they, we can use different type of semen for uh, the top animals, like for example, sex semen would be normally what it is decided. And uh, for the bottom, we could use, for example, beef semen. We can do that selection and we can try, test and try with the tool, what's gonna happen economically and what's gonna happen according to our replacements being produced. And at the end, what the tool will do after we provide the value of the different uh, calves that we will produce, whether they are coming from the conventional semen, the sex semen or the beef semen, uh, how much value we are producing from those animals and how many replacements are we producing? If you remember from a few slides back, uh, we needed 38 animals to be uh, enough to maintain our hair size. And with our proposal of different breedings in different times, we are producing actually 45. So we have seven extra calves, which is good. Uh, normally farmers will want to have a little extra just in case of uh, produce calves. But also the important thing here is we have that value I mentioned before, the income from calves over semen costs. And in this specific case, happens to be more than $4,000 for this proposition of breeding on that case. The user is welcome to change the numbers there according to the specific situation of the farm and find out the best options for their own goals. So we use this tool to do different uh, scenario analysis. And we created a virtual farm with a thousand cows, 35% of turnover ratio or 7% uh, still birth rate. And we did this analysis for low, medium and high reproductive performance, just to see what we would expect in each situation. And then for each one of the farms actually, for each one of the reproductive performance, we basically uh, put in place different protocols of use sex semen from non-use at all any sex semen to use a high amount of sex semen. And in some cases to split the sex semen use uh, according to the genetics of the animals. And then uh, in the next step, actually for the rest of the animals, we had the option to use either conventional semen or beef semen. And we did uh, a different proportions of use of sex of conventional beef semen from not using any beef semen all the way to use 100% of beef semen on the rest of the animals. So there, there are situations in this 
scenarios in which the farm would be using only sex semen and only beef semen, not conventional at all. Which, as we have seen, uh, that's already an option in the dairy industry. Uh, every time more farmers seem to be going that direction. So uh, in this graph, I'm just showing like a summary of the potential outcomes we will have for a medium reproductive performance farm. And in this graph, we have three dimensions. Uh, one of the dimensions is the level of use of sex semen. The other dimension is the beef semen used. And the y-axis, the vertical axis actually shows what's the income from calves over semen costs. As we can see here, uh, within the outcomes, we have uh, a sector of the graph that is marked with a red circle. The red circle indicates all those outcomes in which we had enough replacements available from the breeding protocol we selected. So basically, what we want to have is uh, the highest income over semen cost and still have enough replacements within the farm. That's we think most of the farmers would be willing to do that, use beef semen to the level in which still we have enough replacements within the herd. Here, and that's why we put also the other scenarios in which uh, actually there are situations where the farmer could have even a greater income from calves over semen cost, where uh, there are not a balance, a positive balance of uh, heifers being produced within the farm. If there is a possibility to buy externally, there seems to be an opportunity actually to make more money from that. However, we know that's a situation that maybe is not heavily preferred by farmers because of uh, many reasons, including like, for example, biosecurity from buying external animals to the farm. So in, in conclusion, for low repro farms, actually the opportunities to use beef semen, which as we have seen, comes together with sex semen normally, are very low indeed. Um, in most of the cases we found with current data that in most of the cases, uh, the income from calves over semen costs is negative. Uh, so it's only positive when the calf values, the crossbreed calves would be very high. For the medium repro farms, the, the picture actually changed heavily in which uh, there are many situations in which the income of calves uh, over semen cost is high and there is an opportunity to use both beef semen together with sex semen even to the level of 50 percent or more of beef semen on the breedings and finally for the high repo farms actually uh, the situation changed uh, even for for better even more in which uh, it, the proposal is to use high amount of uh, sex semen. And in most of the cases, 100% of beef semen on the rest of the breedings. So basically the situation I mentioned before on using only beef 
and sex semen and not conventional semen anymore. In most of the cases with the high repro farms with a very even conservative price of the crossbreed animals, the I cost, the income uh, from calves over semen cost was always positive. So the main take home messages from this part of the analysis is that semen strategies depend on the farm performance, uh, important thing, and market conditions. Farm performance, the farmer has a lot of control on those and market conditions that may change across time and the farmer may not have as much control. <clears throat> so the beef semen has a great benefit, but in most of the cases will need likely to be combined with sex semen. And this would be, there would be a higher value if there is an opportunity to buy heifers from outside, but that will depend on the goals and the preferences of the farmers. Now, the other important thing we didn't include in the analysis um, economically is the fact that as Simon, for example, mentioned, there would be a greater genetic progress by using sex semen and beef semen. The generation interval will heavily decrease by doing this kind of uh, <clears throat> uh, strategies of breeding. And that would have a, a huge economic value in addition to the one I was mentioned before. And the last thing I wanna mention as a take home message in this part of the analysis is the fact that the tool is openly uh, available on our website. And the idea is every farm is different and the market conditions are changing constantly. So the idea is to use the tool constantly as these situations change. So now in the last part, I wanna talk briefly about the, the sustainability of this proposition of breeding. And as we have seen, and, and this is data from Wisconsin indeed, in 2019, uh, almost 20% of the semen being used has been from beef uh, on, on dairy, and almost 20% also are uh, sex semen. Uh, we expect in 2020, I don't have the data right here, that both should be over 20% of usage on the uh, dairy industry. Meaning that nowadays, uh, less than 60% of the semen use on uh, dairy farms is conventional and that's decreasing. And so it seems like the trend is gonna be to use more and more of beef and sex semen on dairy cows. So what we did in order to, to look at this sustainability question is basically try to find out the break-even price of the crossbreed heads according to different reproductive uh, uh, performance of farms. Like in the previous case, from low to high reproductive performance. And in this case, we define the medium reproductive performance at 20%, 21-day break rate, and the high at 30%, and the low at 15%. So the important thing I wanna mention in this part is that if we have a high reproductive program, uh, like 30%, uh, we would need such a low, low price of the crossbred uh, calf, $59 per unit per head, in order to still be a good proposition to be used on the farm. 
if, it, if we have a medium reproductive performance, we will need a higher price, but not, not a, a huge price. Indeed, in this case, $150 per crossbred. We know the price is higher uh, nowadays in the market. And, but the, the, the picture changes completely. If we have a low reproductive performance, we will need such a high price of the crossbred animal that maybe it's not worth to even think. And here in this case, that price would be uh, about $700 per head of animal. So the next thing we did quickly here is we'll look at the data from the Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute uh, at the University of Missouri. And actually what they do is a projection of what they think would be the price in the future. They look the past 20 years, historical beef meat price, and they actually project for the next year, uh, 10 years. And actually this projection goes until the year 2029 in this case. And what they are projecting, the bottom line in this figure is that there seems to be that the price of meat, which will affect the price of the crossbred calves, will actually increase, not as much as in the past, uh, recent past years, maybe, but it will uh, increase. And therefore, it means that the sustainability of producing these crossbreds will likely continue for the next 10 years or so. So just a brief take home messages and finishing up here in the presentation is, we seem uh, to have a good market conditions for the next uh, 10 years or so. Uh, the other thing I wanna mention, and I haven't discussed uh, because of the brevity of the presentation is that uh, <clears throat> we need to produce as a dairy industry, quality crossbred calves. Uh, there has been this huge demand and dairy farmers have taken uh, the opportunity to produce, which is great. However, in order to maintain this sustainable production of animals, I think um, we need to take a, a conscious uh, a role on producing good quality crossbred calves in order to maintain and open a niche and maintain that niche in the marketplace. Again, we have the, the tool available on the website for those of you who would like to use in order to improve or project this decision-making into the future. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Victor. So we're going to move into uh, some questions here for the speakers today. Uh, I think I'll start with Victor, uh, since you just finished up. Sure. So a situation where beef semen could be effective without the use of genomic selection strategies. Do you see one? Yes. Um, great question. Thanks, Kim. Uh, the, the thing is, as I mentioned during the presentation, uh, the, the use of, of beef semen, it is heavily related with the sex semen, and therefore the selection of animals to breed with different semen, it's critical in this decision. Somehow we need to rank the animals or split the animals in some way or fashion on the farm in order to uh, provide different semen to different animals. That's, that's the goal. However, uh, in, in my mind, the use of, of genomic tests, it's very good because we have a value of the animal, 
at the very early start. And that prompts, uh, I'm, I'm a little familiar with Clarify, for example, that prompts, and we use, we have been using for years in our farm at, at the University of Wisconsin, that prompts to select the animals early in their life, which is a great value indeed. If we do that, actually, somehow it conflicts with the use of beef semen, because basically we're kind of actually do the selection early on, and we're not gonna raise more than what we need on the animals. So it is, it is uh, maybe the best decision would be actually to use the ge genomic together with sex and beef semen indeed. Uh, so, so I think that's an area in which we are, are now trying to enter more and do analysis uh, on that respect. And from a financial perspective, does the beef on dairy practice fit into any dairy? I know you talked a lot about incorporating sex semen. Are there any other baseline management practices that uh, dairymen need to, need to have in place before they consider a program like this? Yes. I think the critical point for using beef semen is the fact that the farm is able to produce enough replacements from within the farm. That's, in my opinion, a critical first step in order to think on using beef semen, for example. And, and so therefore, reproductive performance is a critical factor. The better the reproductive performance on the farm, the more opportunities will open for sure. So if something can do the farmer to do that is improve reproductive performance. Now, there is another factor together with re reproduction, which is the culling rate, right? And they go somehow hand by, by hand. In my opinion, the reproductive performance is much more important than the culling rate, but the culling rate obviously will affect the, the demand of replacements we have on the farm. It, it is not uncommon in good reproductive performance farms, they may even have a higher culling rate because they do have the opportunity to do so, to select better the animals. So um, to summarize in, in the bottom line, I think the most important thing farmers could do is improve reproductive performance for the heifers and for the adult cows, and that will open opportunities to use sex, beef, semen, etc. So along those lines, Simon, can you talk to us about your culling practices? Do you cull heifers to manage inventory or does your cull rate fluctuate or does it stay consistent? How does that fit in your program? I'd love to say it's consistent every single month, but that's not true. So, um, you know, when we started uh, Clarified, uh, again, we were going to cull the bottom end of our, our heifer population just because we, we were at a point where we already had too many heifers for our needs. Um, we didn't end up doing, we sold a few, but ended up just holding on to them, which worked out well because my brother bought another dairy. And so he just took a bunch of our inventory um, to that dairy and it worked out really well. Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways sometimes. So, um, uh, but, you know, yeah, my goal is 30 to 33% coal rate. Um, we've been hitting that. Uh, the dairy we bought last year is a little higher, a few surprises there. Uh, so, you know, it, it's good to have targets, uh, but targets don't relieve you of the responsibility of the day-to-day decision-making that needs to happen on a dairy. And um, all of these strategies, when implemented, just require more intensive management 
and in all aspects of the operation, you know, whether it's lowering your, your calf death loss, uh, or, you know, improving heifer growth rates, um, improving breeding strategies, improving reproductive performance. Um, but we've been very aggressive on mastitis. Uh, I would say we've gotten to a point where uh, we have uh, more voluntary coals uh, today than we used to. Uh, and that's part of breeding a healthier herd. Uh, genetically, we've been breeding for health. And, and so all those things just come in, you know, it, it, there's always, there's an opportunity around every corner still. So I, as, as I think we do a, a good job today, uh, there's always opportunity to get better. And what percentage of your herd is bred to beef? So I, I just looked at that this morning. Um, our pregnant inventory right now, so over the next nine months, 42% uh, of the calves born will be Holstein and 58% will be Angus. And that will still get us, uh, uh, that'll still give us enough heifers with a cushion. Um, if I really wanted to dial down the heifers, uh, I could. My manager gets a little nervous about me doing that. So we negotiate and come up with a, a number that I need with a cushion. So along those lines, Kent, uh, what percentage of beef genetics is in use in dairy operations today? And how has that changed how AI companies market beef semen? That's a good question, Kim. I can only answer that from the perspective of the communications that we have with our partners in the AI industry. And those communications would um, generally indicate that particularly over the last year or two, there's probably been more beef semen going to the dairy than there is beef semen being used in beef. So my, my best guess would be um, probably over half of the beef semen produced is now uh, being used in dairies. And how did you decide, Simon, on the beef breed that you use? And have you ever thought about changing breeds? Where are you in, in your thought process on that? Yeah, so when we started in 2012, Angus was kind of the only thing out there. Uh, that's, you know, that's what people were doing. It had been done, you know, guys using an Angus bull for cleanup and that kind of stuff and their heifers, you know, back in the day. Uh, maybe it still happens today. I don't know, but not at my place. Uh, but uh, uh, so Angus was kind of the the one that seemed to be working for some other dairies. And so we implemented that. Uh, we're in constant communication with our our buyer, with Grimius Cattle. Do you want straight Angus? You know, we can place embryos. Uh, we have that capability on farm today with our IVF program. Um, do you want sex semen going into your the calves and make all steers? Uh, do you want Limflex, you know, Sim, Sim Angus, do you, and um, so we, we stay in constant communication with them and uh, we have all these capabilities and they still want that Angus Holstein cross. And so that's what we're going to provide for our customer. Yeah, absolutely. Everything is market driven. Mm -hmm. uh, Kent, uh, do the dairy beef crosses qualify for entry into branded programs when we look at things like certified Angus beef? Uh, has there been any development of a branded program for beef from dairy and beef crosses? Or are we still going to be focused on the black calves? Good question, Kim. They, they sure can. And regardless of whether you're using Angus or other beef inputs, uh, maybe we add, need to add a fifth C to the four C's on beef on dairy crossing and that, meaning, that being color. 
Um, obviously, if you can make them black, and I would also offer most of the time those sires are homozygous pole, uh, you can uh, set them up for potential qualification into those programs. Uh, certified Angus beef would have a brand requirement that they must be of beef type muscularity, but I think uh, that can be navigated by use of the right beef sires, be it Angus or other. And um, then there's many other Angus based programs besides just CAB that we can set those animals up to be eligible for and to receive premiums from. Uh, to the latter part of your question, I'm not aware of specific branded programs exclusively predicated on beef on dairy crossing, but I know that there's many of those crosses going into various programs and, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if such might emerge in the future. And Simon, uh, have you had any feedback from your buyers on carcass values? Have they changed yeah. their asking from you? Yeah, and that's part of the reason that uh, they bought their own sire lineup is uh, the feedback we got over the first few years. Uh, so we've been, obviously we've been, so we started in 2012, we probably started killing these in 2014, 2015. And uh, so we, they have a lot of carcass data. Uh, today they get sires on every single calf. And so they're following that through to the, to the floor and uh, evaluating their lineup. Uh, but yeah, the feedback we get is, is how we ended up with them getting their own sire lineup and, and uh, wanting us to um, make more calves for them with their sires. And Kent, has the increased population of the dairy beef crosses affected the beef supply chain? Well, I think it has, yeah. So cattle facts tends to try to track and um, quantify the proportion of the harvest that say beef versus uh, dairy. And um, increasingly we have this um, element that is indistinguishable. So historically 15 to 20% of the fed cattle supply has been classified as dairy. Uh, that's a bit on the bottom end of that range now from my visibility. And so I suspicion that there's more and more of these beef dairy cross crosses going through the system that are indistinguishable from beef and so that's certainly affecting the efficiency of the supply chain on the fed cattle and the carcass side. And Simon, uh, I think our last question today is gonna to be looking back over the years that you've been using beef semen in your program, is there anything that you would have done differently or wish that you'd known earlier when you started? No, I don't think so. I think uh, I've always been a, a fairly collaborative guy. I, I surround myself with, with people that are going to challenge me and, and think outside the box. And um, yeah, looking back, maybe go to sex to Angus right out of the gate. I mean, that has been a game changer for us. It has been uh, phenomenal. Um, it, it's great to the bottom line. It's great for the genetic program. Um, we don't, we have very few calving issues anymore because it's all either a crossbred Angus or a heifer calf. Uh, there's very, very few Holstein bull calves uh, being born on the dairies anymore. And so um, aside from that, no, it, it's a fluid business, just like the dairy business. It, it continues to evolve. It continues to get better. And uh, we're always looking for ways to, to do it better. And so I, I, I wouldn't change too much about what we're doing. And, and I, 
I think it will change over time, but I don't know what that's going to look like yet. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. My thanks to the three of you, to Simon, Kent, Victor, for sharing your insight, expertise, and knowledge today. Uh, and I look forward to hosting the next edition of Boba News.